it was very catty. It was very competitive. And I really just didn't like the way it made me feel. So I thought, oh, the whole art world is, I don't need this. And to put myself out there like that and to have it validated, I'm like, okay, I want to do this. So from that point on, I was all in. I've actually tried to reach out to installation artists that were more successful than me just to try to ask them like what do you do how do you maintain this and how do you make this work in your life it does seem to be like the kind of thing that there's no handbook for it welcome to the installation art podcast the one and only podcast about installation art and the people who make it i am your host anastasia parmson and on the show today We'll find out why Gila Garamian spent decades thinking that contemporary art was not her scene, until she found her kind of people and then jumped straight into making immersive textile installations. She has had exhibitions all over the United States and in Europe. Her aim is to create alternate worlds and invite people to lose themselves in them, to feel like a kid again and to be in the moment. We will get a behind-the-scenes peek of her process and learn about a surprising and stressful last-minute challenge she had to deal with. Something I think most artists have never had to think about. The goal is to provide some kind of sense of community and resources for people who do installation work because I've found that there's nothing online about it. You know, if you go looking for mastermind groups, it's all about painting and ceramics and smaller works. Yeah. Absolutely. Selling things online and installation art is like just this whole universe that exists in its own little bubble. I feel the same way as you. I feel like it is this world that we're attracted to being in, but there isn't a lot of resources or people to reach out to or guidelines on how to move forward. And it's been a really big challenge for me because, you know, you're an artist and you're trying to make this sellable work. And for me, I do these kind of immersive installations, but there'll be sellable pieces within the work. But Mm -hmm. people have a hard time making that jump from seeing something in an installation and then think, seeing it outside. So um, 100%. Yeah. So wild. I've experimented with a few ways to kind of remedy that problem. Um, sometimes I do an, an installation and then I do like kind of a separate gallery wall type of thing just to spell it out in a way. But I do, I love it so much. And um, Mm. I do feel like it is just this uncharted territory. I was so excited to hear from you because I was like, oh, it's great. I would love to connect with installation artists as well. Well, exactly, right? (laughs) I'm actually thinking of doing this like Facebook group Mm -hmm. because I'm in these Facebook groups for artists and it's useful sometimes for like social media questions or whatnot. But installation specific questions are you know it would be so cool to be able to be like hey what do you guys do in case of xyz right yeah no i mean i feel like i have still a lot of questions and i feel like every project i do is just kind of crossing a new bridge and figuring it out there's things that i would love to ask other people about like how do you make this work i feel like what happens with me is i get a proposal from a place and then they tell me what 
they can do as far as like budget and things like that. But I'm also kind of just, yeah, trying to navigate that as well. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's well, uh, maybe let's come back to that so we can elaborate on it a bit more. But let's start from the beginning. Okay. Where did you grow up? I was born in Los Angeles and I lived there until 13. And then I moved to Texas, relatively small town in Texas, where my mother was from. And we ended up kind of moving there because we were traveling around and my mom was a really free spirit and I was like, school is starting. So we moved in with my grandmother. <laughs> so I live there and wow. then I went to school in Los Angeles, but now I live in New York. I've been here for 20, 23 years in New York City. And uh, were you a creative kid? Yes, I'm definitely, you know, I, I'm always deconstructing things and reconstructing things. And I've been doing it since I was as far as I can remember. And I used to get in so much trouble because I'd start cutting things apart and my mom would get so mad at me. And I would also make my room into an installation all the time. <gasps> really? So what would that I look like? Kid, yeah. I would try to recreate things I saw in movies. I would just take everything in my room and shove it in the closets and do some dramatic light and just have it be like, oh, when you walk into the room. <laughs> You know, oh my god, that's so cool. It's funny in hindsight because I really, really have always been trying to do that in my life. And um I just love an immersive situation, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow, building environments already from an early age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Is your family also like all creative people? I'd say yes. Definitely like in the soul of them. They're creative people. My mom was kind of a business person, but she was a really free spirit and did a little painting, a little collage, a little, you know, but lived this kind of creative life in other ways. My dad was an actor, so creative in another way. But on my mother's side, both of my grandparents were painters. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think so. Mm. so. <laughs> Was there something uh, you remember wanting to be as a kid, like a profession-wise? I mean, I've always been an artist. That was what I spent all my time doing, either like drawing or making environments. And I, I was a really creative kid. So it was kind of all I ever knew that I could do, you know, like I wasn't a great student, but I was, I just loved doing that. At one point I thought when I was really young, I thought, oh, I'd be a marine biologist. But I think that's <laughs> because I love the animals and I love the sea and like being deaf, you know, <laughs> so I think it was for all the wrong reasons. So, but <laughs> were you aware I am an artist or I want to be an artist or was it just like because you were creative anyway? Yeah, I feel that it was kind of my my forward-facing identity all my life. Um, and in fact, I felt by the time I was in my 20s, I felt like I hung everything on that identity. And then I turned my back on it for a long time. I haven't been doing anything like what I'm doing now. I started in 2011. And it was after having kids, being a mom, being much older, because I, I didn't think I wanted to do like fine art type of thing. So I kind of had a, a big relationship with it and stepped away for many, many years and then came back to it. 
Did you study something? Did you go to a college or university? Yeah, I went to Parsons, but I went when it was called Otis Parsons and there was a campus in Los Angeles. So I went there and I studied ceramics. But okay. funny enough, all I wanted to do was build environments in ceramics. And um, <laughs> I think because the fine art thing didn't really feel like me, but I just loved clay. And all I wanted to do was build rooms like out of clay. And that was really expensive and very heavy and fragile. So <laughs> it didn't really, didn't really uh, work out so great. But, you know, I wish I'd found textile when I was younger. It's a much better fit for me. <laughs> So studying ceramics, what did you do then after that? So I was in Los Angeles. I worked in film. When I turned my back on being a quote fine artist, I worked in the art department and in costume design in, in films and television and music videos back in the days because it was a long time ago. So, you know, I was working with my hands and creatively in a way, but, you know, making other people's visions come true, you know, without it being my own creative um, idea. So it was like film that I did. So you were building sets? Building sets, painting sets. And then I moved into doing costume design. That's where I melded my sewing skills in with everything else. And um, yeah, yeah, I still do it a little bit. So hang on, you actually decided during or after Parsons that uh, art is not for you and you're just going to not do it? Mm -hmm. I always did art and I can't not do art, but um, I decided that the fine art world of what especially was going on at the time, I just wanted nothing to do with the attitude and just it felt very... I felt like what I had to say wasn't valid. It took me a long time to feel the confidence to say what I had to say and express was a valid form of art. I remember this guy saying, Gila, I don't know what it is you're going to do. It's not art, but you're going to be great at it. I think because I was so conscious on like the visual aspect of it at the time and not the conceptual side of it, which was very... When I was in school and during the critiques, it was very heavy on that. Mm -hmm. And I was always about being light and fun and just kind of really trying to bring happiness. And I was younger. I just, I didn't feel like it was valid to, to say that. Now I absolutely do. I think it's so yeah. needed. It's absolutely amazing to do that. But I didn't have the confidence at the time. Do you think it's the school also that kind of instilled that idea in yes. you that you don't belong in that It space? was very cutthroat. It was very catty. It was um, mm. very competitive. And I really just didn't like the way it made me feel. So I thought, oh, the whole art world is, I don't need this thing. I always continued to draw and do my own things, but never like forward facing. And then when I came back into it, I just decided to only surround myself with people that I like and respect and who are nice. <laughs> and I'm lucky enough to have been able to continue that. And um, I still feel that strongly. So how did that actually change then? How did you come back to art? I was a mom. I'd learned to knit and kind of dabble around with quilting and things like that. And I started making things for my kids and my kids' friends. Then a friend of mine 
started this um, organization called the Wasaic Project, and it's an artist residency and exhibition space. And they had just started in their second year. And um, I asked if I could submit some pieces. It was really, really, um, they were very sweet to allow me to do it. I decided I really wanted to take the, um, the time and energy that I would put into, say, illustrations and then bring it and combine it with my sewing skills and really make something that I'd take the time with. And it was an experiment. And I made like five or six pieces and they sold out. And it was just like, oh, wow. Okay. It felt like it was very validated, you know? And then the next mm-hmm. year I was like, what I really want to do is I want to make an installation. So I put in an, a submission for the next year and then it's kind of been rolling since then. <laughs> cool. I, I think I've heard of Wasaic. Isn't it quite a famous residency? Maybe it's, um, it's two hours North of New York city. I think it could be, I mean, that's funny because they're friends of mine and I've been involved since kind of year two or three, um, because they were friends of mine that started it. So yeah, I think it is. I know in New York area, people know it. That's great. If you've heard of there, um, it's a great place. And I honestly, when I did those pieces, um, it was such a beautiful, supportive group. I felt like, wow, I can do this if I feel that there's a community out there and it's not just like, you know, cutting everybody yeah. down. It really was huge for me to like, just go back and feel the confidence to just do this type of thing. It makes such a difference working with people who really understand how to support artists, yeah. doesn't it? Absolutely. And w- once you experience it, you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> that exists. Yes. And, you know, I'm lucky to have them and they're still very much a part of my art life. Like this installation I did last year was at the Wasaic Project exhibition. And um, it's just really cool space. And yeah, I just love the community. And Yeah, cool. So was there a moment in there where you kind of decided that you're going to be an artist now? Yeah, after that first, when I made the pieces for that first show... And when they sold out and I found out that one of the buyers was a pretty famous collector, I felt extremely validated. And I I was crying because, you know, it was such an emotional parting for me from the art world. I'm like, I'm not that. I'm not an art, you know, and to put myself out there like that and to have it validated. I'm like, okay, I want to do this. So from that point on, I was like all in. (laughs) That was a great comeback. How many years between the school and that? It was a long time, like 20, so 25 years, 20, like, wow, I'm trying to do the math in my head, but it was a long, long time. I was 40 when I started. Mm -hmm. So it was like from graduating college to, you know, being a middle-aged mom. (laughs) But but, um, yeah, I felt it was a great perspective. I was like, I can do this now, you know, like, so it felt, it felt right. <laughs> that sounds like totally serendipitous. Mm-hmm. It felt that way. What gave you this idea then that, oh, I should make an installation? I think my film background and like always loving to build these environments. I love feeling like I'm in an immersive situation. You know, part of my work is to make people just kind of drop their, um, their 
judgments about what art is and how you should experience art. I guess I felt like I, um, I just wanted to bring people into a world and to, yeah, invite people into my own brain in a way to have them be able to step in and just be in that, you know, because I do sound and I use lights and, um, I try to make it as multi-sensory as I can and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Did you have to learn any new skills to make this kind of work? I did. So I kind of decided I would work with textiles because I had some skills in that. And I thought, okay, this is something that's a little different that I do. And um, after my first show, I had um, some people, they came to my first solo show and I pitched forward that I'd start finding these like old, old crocheted blankets that I'd find in thrift stores and things like that. And I wanted to create a tunnel and illuminate it with light coming through the negative space. So I mm-hmm. pitched that to Crystal Bridges in um, Arkansas. It's like a American art museum there. But I don't. I didn't crochet, so I learned to crochet after getting. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I sewed and I learned. So I'm like, yeah. So I was like, okay. And I try to do that with each project. I think I'm going to try to learn a new skill. You know, I like to try. Oh, to cool. Yeah, I learned on the job quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But the light things and stuff, uh, had you worked with that before? I learned that on the, you know, as I was going as well. When I first started, LED lights had just kind of come onto the market. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden there were these low, um, you know, heat types of lighting situations and you could really use them in different ways. You could use them next to textile and it would be totally doable. And people do that all the time now, but back then I was kind of combining that and, um, it felt very, um, new and different to bring those elements together. And I just love light to just activate a situation. It's hard to capture that aspect of my installations in photos. And I'm sure many installation artists would feel this way as well. It's so hard to capture the experience in mm. just photographs. It's yeah. been a big challenge for me to like get that across. Um, it's, it's difficult because the scale isn't, you know, it's not as impactful and all the things like sound and light and everything is all just, you know, different elements that make, that make it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've had so many comments on social media on my videos saying, oh, that would give me a headache. And I'm like, well, actually, it's a really relaxing environment, but it just does not translate on a small screen. And that is one thing that I feel is amazing. You know, there is nothing like that, of that just completely immersive situation. It is. It's really hard to capture. It really Mm. is. So tell me a bit about how you find some of your materials. So I'd always like from a young teenager had been thrift shopping and it just kind of what I did. Um, And so I was always collecting and finding, you know, stuff, textiles and learning to sew. I did a lot of sewing and like costume design and things like that. So when I found that I could combine my thrift shopping, my love of thrift shopping with bringing it together with my art, it was like... Then when I kind of started talking about how 
you know, I'm honoring the time and love and effort that goes into these pieces, which are like a lot of crocheted blankets or, you know, knitting and rugs and things like that. Um, people started giving me items that they didn't Mm -hmm. really know how they would fit into their lives. So people give me things all the time and they're like, this is something that somebody made. I don't know what to do with it. And like, will you take it? And then I have a big archive and, um, I pull from it, you know, so people, people gift me a lot of things, which is amazing because it is about the story, you know, behind it too. Yeah. I think people love the idea that these things acquire a life of their own through art. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And And I love that too. I love giving that to them, you know, to these things because it is so nice. So what does your studio look like? It must be filled to the brim. (laughs) Oh, it is such a mess. And, And my problem is because it's not paint or something like technically messy. I work everywhere. So (laughs) I am everywhere. You know, I have a studio in Wasaic that I keep, but that's honestly become a storage unit because it's (laughs) taking so much room and it's just like, I don't work in there anymore. I just take it out of there and work. (laughs) So um, I just work everywhere I go and it's a big mess, but it's, uh, you know, my husband is okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) That's important. Yeah. Do you build everything yourself? I do. Well, I do work on my own, um, but I've worked with museums. I've worked with fabricators to make the structures. So basically, a lot of what I feel like I'm doing is coming into an on-site situation. And then I have like rough plans, but I come and I actually kind of draw with my materials once I'm there. So Mm -hmm. um, I do work on my own. I don't really work with assistance, but I have worked with somebody to do a structure and help me with the lighting a little bit, um, with woodworking and things like that to just make things safe and stable. I think it's a little difficult to work with assistance because I don't really know. I'm just kind of going along as I, as I go along. Sometimes I'll get everything in place and people will come in and help me stitch things together. But yeah, I mostly work on my own. Do you plan a lot ahead? Like you know already what's going to go where in the space? Um, I always kind of feel like I'm making the flowers in my studio and then I go to a place and I, then I make the bouquet at this mm-hmm. place. And it's always very site specific. It's like I go into a space and then I just start going. And a lot of places, you know, they require sketches, of course. So I'll have kind of an idea because mm-hmm. they want to know roughly what I'm thinking. And, um, I'll do some sketches, but they're very rough sketches and they know that they'll, it's definitely just kind of a, a rough outline of what I'll be doing. So how does the space influence the final piece? It it means so much, you know, I have to do like a site visit and be in the space for a while. And then I can just Mm -hmm. kind of feel the environment and just kind of think about what I would like to go where. It is so important to me. The space just dictates so much for me. I've been lucky enough to do some installations, some really beautiful places. I have one in Kingston, New York, which is in this old ship repair building. And it's like four stories high and just beautiful rafters. And um, 
it has circular windows. So I'd like tie that in and the the space just means a lot. Mm -hmm. I love a good challenge of a space. I've done one inside of a boat once and that was fun. (laughs) Mm. So you make some pieces specifically for like the measurements and... Yeah, roughly. Um, I'll go visit the space and then I'll have the idea of kind of a lot of times I'll have a visual element that goes throughout the work and the whole installation itself. So I'll do something that kind of ties it all together, you know, compositionally. So I will make those for the space. Yeah. And do you ever reuse elements? I do. I have to um, just because of the time it takes, you know, I definitely have to uh, reuse elements, but I'll put them back and sometimes rework things. I have them kind of just archived and colors and feelings Mm. and things like that. Yeah, but I definitely have to. (laughs) Have you found over the years some kind of tools, resources, programs, something that makes your life and work easier? I mean, I feel really lucky to be kind of upcycling and recycling things and using these pieces that other people have made like these crocheted and knit pieces and being able to honor them and, you know, push them forward in a way. Um, So I mean, that honestly was a huge thing for me just because it enables me to do so much more because I can get inspired by these pieces going forward. So do you do like a call out, say you're doing a project in Arkansas, would you want the local people to donate materials? Yeah, I ask the local people to donate. Sometimes they'll bring things down, depending on the project, how it works. But I always, I love to use things that are from the community around. So I'll go be there for a while and go out, collect things in the community. People will give it to me and then I'll incorporate it into the piece. So the audience interaction starts before anything's even made. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I was lucky enough to do a few in Europe over the pandemic, a few installations. So I went over there and it was so different because in the US, so much is discarded and there's so much wasted, right? So it's everywhere. And I was finding a hard time there finding items that were donated. And I realized it's because people are actually honoring their elders, the grandma who made the, you know, like, and they don't get rid of yeah. it like we do here. They love the vintage stuff. Yeah. Though, yeah. And so it took on a completely different look, but it was a really interesting thing that I never would have anticipated. So I love going into a new environment and just kind of learning about the place that I'm at through, you through know. the vintage thrifting. Yeah. Mm, cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Speaking of audience interaction, your work looks really tactile and attractive. Mm. I'm imagining people touch it, they want to poke it, they want to squeeze it. They um, want to climb it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, do you mind that people want to do that? And do you do anything to prevent or try to reduce that? Yeah, depending on the, the space, for sure. It is. It's so inviting. And that's what I love mm. about it. And that's what it's all about is engaging in art in a new way. And so I want people to feel free and comfortable when they enter the space. For instance, I had an an installation at the Children's Museum of Art here in New York. Oh, yeah. I loved that one. was so great. But the kids, of course, they see it and they want to 
climate. That's my joke about climbing mm. it. So, you know, it was so important. I tried to build the strength into it. Luckily, it was local and I would have to kind of come in and repair it a little bit here and there. Other places, it kind of depends on the venue. They want people to interact or they don't want people to interact with it. And I'm kind of okay taking direction with whatever the place feels comfortable with. So... So that's what you mentioned about structures. Is that like a frame or something that the thing's attached to? Yeah. And at museums, there are a lot of regulations. And that's one thing that's really interesting that I've come across since the beginning is people see textile and they think fire, you know, they make me fireproof things, even though a canvas on the wall is also fabric, but something that they're just, they're like, you need to fireproof everything. And I've had to just oh like God. fireproof an entire plush situation many a times. <laughs> and yeah, wow. it's interesting. It's a weird kind of unconscious bias that people have. Yeah, because oil paint <laughs> sounds really flammable. To I me. know, right? But it's funny. It's kind of <laughs> like people are used to it and they're not used to something that's a little outside the normal box. I have not had that one. Yeah. But everywhere I go, because I do use my own lighting, mm. every institution needs to get an electrician to certify it, even though it's already been certified by the previous people. Yeah, it's interesting. It makes people a little uneasy, right? And they kind of like, this is something new, which is great. I love that. You know, that makes it interesting to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. What kind of experience do you want the audience to walk away with from your work, from seeing it and interacting with it? Yeah, I mean, it's so colorful. And like you said, inviting. I want many levels. I, I love introducing people to art that wouldn't necessarily think that they would be interested in art. So something that's very inviting. I want them to experience things in a new way and drop their inhibitions and just kind of feel like they're experiencing something for the first time. I like to hide a lot of things so that if they come back to the place, they'll find a lot of secret little areas, you know, something to just make them feel like a kid. Mm -hmm. I've been saying that for a while, but it's truly the way when you're a young person, you see something new and it blows your mind. You know, my goal is to try to find that place in people. That's the goal. <laughs> Well, do you think it's working? I think it is. People are amazingly just like, oh my gosh, it's like this and that. It's like, it's like your grandma making a fort under your grandma's dining room table. I was like, yes, that's it. Yes, exactly. You know, it's that sense of adventure and people do get it. And I'm like, okay, that's good. I guess the, the language is working. <laughs> Can you tell me a bit about how you got into like the bigger work, how you found the opportunities to make your first larger installations? I know. I feel like that is the, the big challenge. And I feel so lucky every time to have someone offer a space for me to do this in because it is, it's like, it's amazing. You know, with Saic Project, like, they saw what I could do and I put forward the proposal and I've been lucky enough to have things kind of unfold. Every time I think, well, that was a good run, you know, it's gone way further than I thought it would. And every time I mm -hmm. think that maybe 
there won't be another one. There always seems to be another one. Like I just got an email today. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, good. I got something to look for. Just to have someone offer the space is amazing. The part that is difficult to maneuver is to make it sustainable. In what way? I don't know that I'll ever make money doing it. I've certainly broken even. And I think about that. Um, For me, I feel really lucky in that I'm able to, it's a place of privilege to be able to like hold that and be able to do things. One of the reasons why I wasn't doing work before when I was younger is I had to work, you know, I didn't have the time and the resources to do that. It's something I'm still trying to figure out. It seems like every institution has a different policy and a different way they do, you know, and I didn't realize that. I would love somebody to come, you know, an installation person. This is how you do it. Maybe you'll find something. I'd love to talk to them. (laughs) There's the putting forward proposals, which is not my skill set. And, you know, I struggle through it. It's part of it, I guess. But it is an uncharted... I mean, I've actually tried to reach out to installation artists that I were more successful than me, you know, just to try to ask them like, what do you do? How do you maintain this? And how do you make this work in your life? It does seem to be like the kind of thing that there's no handbook for it, you know? Nope. There's no 12 steps to yeah. success. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel every time I get one, I get so excited because it's to have the offered the space to do something like this. Of course, I want to do it, you know. What's been uh, your biggest opportunity so far, do you think? Well, that's a tough one to say because opportunity-wise, I really owe everything to Wasaic Project because that was they took a chance Where it on all me. started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was the Crystal Bridges Museum and it was right in the beginning when I started. So it was wild to have, it's the most high profile place, but you know, each one is so great and different in every way. It's always just keeps, the snowball keeps rolling and I just keep meeting people along the way. So each one is its own great thing. Once an exhibition ends, What happens to all the stuff? Oh, gosh. It's so hard. I just took something down last week. Yeah, it's it's the bane of my existence. It's like, it's like I said, my studio is basically busting at the gills with stuff. I'm lucky that my stuff is really lightweight and can kind of be Mm -hmm. pushed around and and it's not mm -hmm. fragile. So it can be kind of put in a bag and thrown over, you know, a lot of times I take things apart because so much of my practice is about recycling and reusing things. I will take like the stuffings out and put that somewhere and reuse it. But yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. It goes into the archive and then someday maybe I will readdress it again. Do you have any behind the scenes story of stuff that came up during your process or installation or something where it's like, uh oh, well, you have to deal with well, stuff. Well, I now. think the biggest one is the fireproofing thing. It's happened to me three times where the fire marshal comes in and they're just like, what? This is freaking me out. And I want to see that you're fireproofing everything. And I'm like, this is fur, you know? Now I know to anticipate it, but that. Mm -hmm. has been the biggest like gut punch 
when you're in installation mode and they're just, they're like, nope, you have to take it all out and go fireproof it. They drop that on you while you're installing. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> that's the biggest one. That was awful. I mean, it's funny because I think that, you know, the fire marshal and the people who are in charge of like safety, it's the museums more than galleries. You know, they've got these regulations and rules and then the people come mm -hmm. in, there's more people involved and they're like, wait, whoa, what is this? But yeah, I think it's the fireproofing. What are you like on install days generally? Oh my gosh. Like I said, I work on my own a lot. So I go into just waking, working, and just eat a little something while I take a break and look at the thing. And then I work. And then if they kick me out of the place, I go back to wherever I'm staying and I work until I fall asleep. And then I get up and then so I'm just 100% in. Mm -hmm. This is the way I've always worked. Yeah, this 100% waking moments of it all. And I have a hard time stepping away from that. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. And when it's installation time and minor issues come up, how do you generally react? Are you like, I'm dealing with it? Or are you like, oh, forget that. It doesn't matter. Well, I do feel like sometimes limitations can spark creativity in a new way, you know, and I do really believe in that. I try to be, you know, take a step back and say, okay, how can I rethink this? I've definitely gone through and done something third of the way through and just like, this isn't working. Take it away and then start again. Mm -hmm. One thing one person told me, and I still have a problem with this in a studio visit, they're like, remember, you don't have to use everything. And I have a really hard time. <laughs> right? So yep. that was the best piece of advice that I've ever had and it's a battle for me because I want to use it all. Yeah. I definitely like to bring way more than I need. Yes. I and have the options. Do. Yeah. The options are good because yeah, you want to have the options. In my case, it's like if I have a show coming up and I'm working like a crazy person in the studio, there is no point where I'm like, oh yeah, that's it. I don't need any more pieces. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like that's never gonna happen. Never. And I've gone through and I've brought what I think. I was like, oh, I'm gonna be in this color palette. This is what I'm going. And then I go back. And then I bring 10 times more stuff. I'm like, oh, but I have to have, you know, for me, it's a, it's a definite challenge. Do you ever want to, or think about making work that doesn't require your presence or your input? I do. I do. I think about it a lot because that's the challenge is I always have to go on site and I have to travel there and do these things. So I have been really working on coming up with ideas that are kind of like a ready-made Thing. At one point, I started working with deconstructing lawn inflatables and these mm. things with fans in them. And I was like, oh, good, I can ship it there and then just plug it in and, it, you know, blows up. But the motors aren't reliable. It's very, you know, I really do find that. I'm, I'm thinking about that all the time because it definitely is something that um, limits you just to not be like, okay, I'll ship off this painting or whatever. Yeah. It's a challenge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I should have been a painter making <laughs> right. little things. What was I thinking? Right. No, it's better. <laughs> I think it's better. I get so much more interesting. How do the bigger projects generally get funded? Every single place that I've gone is different. They're either like, give us a budget or 
this is all we have, you know, this is what we've got to spend. And I do feel like it's a learning thing. I thought maybe it would be more formulaic. It's not. Every institution does it a different way. Every time I go into a situation, it's a new adventure. And, you know, I've definitely had to say no because it's not doable for me and my schedule. You know, like it's what's sustainable. Mm-hmm. Do you ever do grants or things like yeah, that? Yeah, I do. And I'm lucky enough to be working with people that help me do that because it is not my strong suit. I've also kind of like you were saying, people approach me, I do the next thing, you know, I'm not reaching out to that next level, which maybe I will get to that point that it feels like I've rounded some type of corner. But yeah, I'm just kind of taking it as it comes. Right. Have you ever sold like a whole installation or a bunch of pieces? I've never sold the whole installation, but I definitely have and and do get site-specific commissions off of an installation. So for instance, they see it and they're like, oh, let's talk and let's do something and do some like in-home things. I've done that. But I have not sold an entire... I think especially with my work, it's kind of very collage, assemblage And it's... Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Even like in museums, permanent collections, I have not sold an entire installation yet. Maybe it'll happen someday, but it's always like a portion. So they do acquire maybe like a, a segment of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And do you give uh, people care instructions or things like if you install it in their home environment? Yep. Yep. I try to do um, yeah, the instructions. It's funny. I used to work in Los Angeles at the Contemporary Art Museum. So I was a preparator and doing that side of it, like putting them together. So I kind of got a little experience in that and just kind of like giving people directions, making it clear, illustrations, little clips, video, you know, all that. But then I've seen them when they've been re-erected in an exhibition and I've been like, oh my God, that's not right. And I've had to like call them and say, you know, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Mm. What's a hard truth you have had to learn as an artist? What popped into my brain and I just have to always just remind myself this all the time is like, it doesn't matter. Not everybody's going to like what you do and there's no way that's ever going to happen. And you just have to kind of believe in what you do and not really listen to the outside. You know, like, I don't like to listen to things, look at things, look at anything outside because you have to stay true to what you're doing and just keep that creative spark going and not be influenced too much by the outside world. That's my challenge. And I feel always like I'm clinging on to that. Are you working on something right now or what's coming up for you? I have a few things that are in the works that are not solid yet. And I'm just getting ready for some studio visits that are exciting, kind of like public art space type of things. Right now I'm preparing my studio, which is my home. (laughs) You know, it's kind of an installation around in my place, you know. And I have three shows up right now. I just had a big push. Every time I'm like, well, I've got nothing. And literally today, I literally thought I have nothing going on in the horizon. And I'm like, okay, well, some moments in my life, it's like, oh, no. And right now I'm like, it's okay, you know, and then something will come along. (laughs) For me, it's either, oh, no, or, oh, no, it's too much. Exactly, right? It is. (laughs) And then when you're like, oh, no, there's nothing, then you put all the feelers out and then you've got too much. Yeah. 
So yeah, yeah, I'm trying to find a balance with that. That's another thing is trying to, for me, trying to find a balance with being okay with just letting it go and just having it flow how it is. I think every artist feels that. Yeah. All my friends anyway. It's tough. This is why I'm like, oh, well, nothing's happening in my art career. I can do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think it's so great. I'm so happy. You're, I think it's such a great thing. I was very excited that you contacted me because it seems like thank a you. really cool idea. Yeah, thank you so much for reaching out. So just tell the listeners where they can find you, where they can see or buy your work. I have a website, Gila.com. My name is spelled J-E-I-L-A.com. Yep. I'm also on Instagram. It's J-E-I-L-A dot art. And honestly, like buying things, people, if they contact me, I try to keep my website current, but it's kind of difficult to maintain that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's mostly password on my website. It's hard to keep it current, but Instagram is a little bit better. That was Gila Garamian, based in Brooklyn, New York. You can find out more about her work and buy some smaller pieces on her website, gila.com. That's J-E-I-L-A dot com. And on her Instagram at gila.art. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this very first episode of the Installation Art Podcast. If you want to show your support and give me a thumbs up, the easiest way to do that is hit follow or subscribe on your app. It really, really helps. And then go on Instagram at Installation Art Podcast and tell me in a DM, have you ever had to deal with fireproofing your work? I would really love to hear from you.